0: Amen. Thanks everyone for singing. You can have a seat. Thanks team for leading us. We, uh, we are really excited uh, to uh, continue a teaching series we've been in. A- and maybe we haven't met. My name is Dominic. I'm one of the leaders here. And, and oftentimes I, I get the question from different people like, what do pastors do? And how do you become a pastor? And all these questions. Good questions, by the way. And, and, and sometimes uh, it's hard to answer those questions, but sometimes it gets easier when I have an example. And so some of you know this, that over the past few months, we've had actually a young leader with us who's a pastoral apprentice, and his name is Willie, and and Willie's been with us because he sensed in his heart that God is maybe calling him to step into leadership in a church and maybe one day become a pastor. Now, that's a very scary thing to do and very scary thing to discern, but as a church with our elders, we were committed to help him and to help him discern that and pray with him. So this morning, I'm really excited that Willie's getting a chance to preach in the next chapter in the Book of Roots. So, Willie, you can come on up. Maybe you can give Willie a hand if he's nervous and okay. uh, kind of... Uh, he, uh, he, was, he was maybe more nervous at the nine, but this yeah. is uh, the second take, relaxed so it should out. be a, more relaxed. But, but Willie and his family, you'll see a picture of them up there. Uh, They've been with us since August, and we are really, really proud of them. We're proud of, of Willie's commitment to grow. And, and before I pray for Willie, I want to remind you that when people step out in faith and when we're seeing this... It's a way that God stirs us that when we should be stepping out in faith as well, when we should be learning and trying some things that would be very scary and very overwhelming, but knowing that God is with us and we can do these things we never thought we would do. So this morning, Willie's going to continue to help us understand this book of Ruth, and he's already been helping with our kids' ministry and youth and in different areas of our church. And so we're grateful for you and Willie. Let me just say how proud I am of you, how you're growing and learning. And before he preaches, I'm going to pray for him. So let's just pray for Willie. Father, every time we open the Bible, we want to remind ourselves that it's not just a book, but there's living words that you help us understand and connect to what we're going through in our own lives. And today I pray that as Willie shares, that you would uh, give him just a sense of your peace and encouragement to know that he's sharing with people who are uh, learning and who want to serve you. And so would he be encouraged to share from his heart, give him the boldness that he needs, and would you continue to help him to discern the calling that you have on his life and what that means as he continues to follow you where you're calling him we pray this in your name jesus amen,
1: amen. well thank you pastor dom um yeah appreciate that introduction so you can see yeah that's my family so you know if we haven't met i'm willie as dom introduced me and that's my family i'd love to chat with you after the service if we get the chance and yeah those are my my three boys um yeah we're a three-boy household so there's a lot of a lot of high energy. I'm not sure if it's a pastoral requirement here at the 180 to have three kids, but I know uh, uh, Michael and Jasmine, they have three daughters. Dom and Bev have, have three sons. We have three sons. Actually, with my kids this week, or it was yesterday at supper, I was trying to help them figure out the distinction between when they're playing and having fun. You kind of move on this spectrum from kind of silly and fun over into, at a certain point, it turns into dangerous and irresponsible, <laughs> right? And they were like, dangerous and irresponsible, that's what we want, right, Dad? So, yeah, pray for us, pray for that they survive. Um, thankfully, they don't have a vote. Thankfully, you know, we are in charge in the house, but uh, they're, uh, sometimes it's a bit of a, a close-run thing. But, yeah, so that's my family, and, yeah, you know, I'm really excited to kind of continue this study uh, in the book of Ruth, as we've just been, as a church, looking together at the story of Ruth, looking together at what, what God reveals to us from that story so if you're just joining us this week, I mean, we're really happy that you're here. Um, but so the, the story of Ruth, or the book of Ruth, it really starts with, with two characters. Um, I would say Naomi and, uh, Naomi and Ruth, are maybe the two people, names you really have to remember. And just as you see on the screen, it says, Naomi's the mother-in-law, and Ruth is the daughter-in-law, and they're both both widows. So the, where the story begins, actually, is that Naomi and her family are, are from Israel, uh, ancient Israel, and there was a famine in, in, in where they were, and so they went to Moab, which is a neighboring country that had some, some rough history with Israel, but they went to Moab hoping to have a better life for themselves. So Ruth went with her family, and while she was there, one of her sons married, or sorry, Naomi went with her family, and while they were in Moab, one of her sons married Ruth. Now, we don't know this story is very summarized, even what I'm sharing is summarized, but what happened then is that actually Naomi's husband died, and then her sons died, and so that meant that Ruth's husband died. So then they were both stuck in, in together, just the two of them, um, with, with, with no other family around. Now, um, to be in a place without family um, in our time, but especially in the ancient world, was a dangerous thing, and especially for women, right? To not have a brother or a, a husband or a father around, it just meant that they were alone. Right? They didn't have the protection. They didn't have just, just the community of family. That, that uh, Especially in the ancient world, not having family was just a, a devastating tragedy for them, even more than what it maybe would be in our time. So in the midst of this hardship, Naomi and Ruth... Well, Naomi makes the decision that she's going to return to her people. She's going to return to Israel. And in that, Ruth does something that's incredibly kind. And she says, Naomi, I will go with you. Right? Your people will be my people your God will be my God. I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to leave you alone uh, to face whatever is coming next. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stick with you. And that's kind of where we pick up the story today. So if you have a Bible, um, you can go to Ruth in, in your Bible. We'll be in Ruth chapter 3. And I won't have time to read the whole, the whole, the whole chapter today, so I just encourage you maybe this afternoon after lunch, you take, a t- take the chance to kind of read through and, and really sit with this story uh, to understand it even better. But in Ruth 3, chapter 1, it says, One day, Ruth's mother in law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you. Uh, (coughs) Now, if you're reading this uh, on your own, uh, they might say instead of home, it might say rest or safety, kind of that idea of home. It it kind of brings together a whole bunch of, a few different ideas of really a place of, of safety, of being safe, of being protected. Right, and so they kind of had a bit of provision worked out. Ruth had been working hard to provide food for Naomi. They maybe had, probably had some place to stay, but they didn't have a home, right? And I wonder if you have ever had that experience where, you know, parts of your life are working, but you don't have a place that is really home. You don't have a place that is safe for you. Here at the church, we've been doing the Alpha course, and, and part of the Alpha course is they do um, is videos. They do videos and they do um, vox pop interviews. You know, kind of like Guy tell would do, or um, like man-on-the-street interviews, and they will ask people just different questions. And one of the questions they asked uh, was, you know, when you are in trouble or when you have a problem, who do you turn to? And, and one of the women that was interviewed, she answered, she said, well, I don't, I don't trust any of the people around me, so I just have to kind of depend on myself. And I don't know if you've ever been in that sort of situation, right, where you can't trust the people that are around you. Maybe that your family just feel like maybe this specific problem they don't understand, they can't figure it out. Or or your friends, you are like, I just they're good people but I just don't trust them with with the hard questions of my life, right? That's that feeling of not having a place of peace, not having a place of rest. Uh, For myself in kind of a different way, it makes me actually think of this idea of of needing and searching for a home. Um, It reminds me actually when I first moved to Quebec. So I'm originally from Ontario and when I finished school, I moved to Quebec City. Yeah, uh, I, took, I took a job in Quebec City, and and actually part of the job was that I would also start enrolled in classes at University of Laval to learn French as well. And so I mean, I just all in the spirit of adventure, right? I was like, I'm going to go, going to learn French, I'm going to move to a new city, going to get, going to just have an adventure. And uh, I remember trying to work out. You, know, I didn't know anybody, right? I I'd met. I mean, I had a job, so I met kind of a, my boss. Uh, I had a few phone calls online and kind of worked that out. Uh, but really didn't know anybody. So I was looking for a place to live and I was like, okay, where, where do I go? Well, then I realized, well, I'm a student. So I checked out the residences. Now, um, maybe this is part of, partly this is Quebec City and partly this is just the time that I went. And the great thing about the residences, I think my rent was like $300 a month. It was like, I, like, this is like pre, it's actually not that long ago. It's just rent used to be super cheap. And some of you guys remember that, right? And so I was like, $300 a month? Like, sign me up. This is great. This is going to be awesome. Uh, and then I, I moved in and I realized, oh, there's a reason why it's $300 a month here. Because um, it was just like this concrete box, really, like that, that I could live in. I mean, I, and with a bed and a desk. And then for my food, I had to go down to, it wasn't a cafeteria, but it was like, a, um, like a, a, a common kitchen, which was down in the basement. So I had to go take the elevator with all my food, you know, go down to the basement, cook my food, and then I'd either eat it down there in the basement or bring it back up to my room. And I just remember it was over that first winter that I was living in Quebec City, just, just hating where I lived, <laughs> right? Like I, I had shelter, right? And I was protected from the, the cold, dark, harsh Quebec winters. But it was, I mean, I was just, I was going crazy living there on my own. Like I grew up with a family with, with, uh, with two sisters and a brother. So there were always lots of people around. I always had someone to talk to. And I found that, you know, Whenever I came home, I, just, I didn't want to be there. I, just, I would sleep and then want to get out as fast as I could. I couldn't, I couldn't have home, right? And as, as time went on, I started to make friends with, at work and at school and, and actually at the church I was attending. But I was just really struck by, yeah, you can have shelter but not have a home, right? And it seems like maybe Ruth and Naomi, they had each other, but they knew that they weren't secure. They weren't safe. They weren't settled. So Ruth wants to help Naomi. Or sorry, Naomi wants to help Ruth find safety, find rest and find a home So Naomi Naomi goes to Ruth and says, my daughter I must find a home for you and, said, and she goes on to say now Boaz with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours And so this starts to introduce Boaz who we actually met last week um, and so Boaz is a, is a relative of the family um, and actually last week it was mentioned that Boaz is actually not just a relative but he's a specific kind of has a specific legal role within kind of the extended family or clan. And that title is that of a guardian redeemer. Um, And so that's kind of like a specific kind of legal thing that came up in in ancient Israel, but it it comes from actually the laws that God had given his people, the laws that God had given to Israel. Um, So when God had given the law to to Israel uh, through Moses, he included a role called a guardian or a guardian redeemer. Um, And you can read deeply into that in Leviticus 25 and kind of understand more of that. But the the guardian was a a close relative that was obliged to help out or was really had the ability to help out a relative in a time of serious trouble. And there's a few different categories of that. Sometimes it was, you know, if someone just went went bankrupt and had to sell sell their land, you know, in an agricultural society, land was really, was their life. And so if someone went bankrupt and had to sell their land, that relative could come. And, and provide for their needs, or could could buy that land back. Or if uh, if someone uh, was so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery, the guardian, the guardian redeemer, could come and, and buy them out of slavery and, and buy their freedom back, right? That's, um, so God had really organized his people so that those that were in, in deep trouble, that their maybe their, their very immediate family was just in, in immense distress, that their extended family could come around and, and provide and help them. and that guardian was there to, to protect them. And so Naomi is able to kind of share this this legal kind of structure. And it's interesting, you know that it's something that came from something she would have learned when she was maybe maybe a little girl of kind of understanding, hey, this is, this is what this is the Bible, right? This is what she was taught at as her parents taught her who God was and what God was doing that her parents taught her, you know, if, if, if someone's in trouble, a guardian redeemer comes to help them, and that's a great thing. But, I, you know, I wonder if Naomi ever thought that that part of the story would apply to her, right? Maybe she had followed along of thinking, okay, kind of these different laws of honor your father and mother, or don't lie or don't steal. She's like, okay, I can do those things, I'll do those things, and God will honor me, God will take care of me. But she never maybe realized that the, the part of being in desperate need, part of, of where I'm in trouble and I need help, she never thought that that part would apply to her. Um, I remember my dad actually telling me a, a story like this, telling me about something like this once. Uh, when my younger brother was born, um, I, I don't remember this. I was four years old at the time. But my dad, was, my dad told me that when, when he was born, it was... Uh, so my mom was very sick. Uh, had a lot of health complications uh, when, my brother was, was, when she was pregnant with my brother. And she ended up having to be in the hospital on bed rest. And they, yeah, serious bed rest. So she had to be in the hospital to do that. Now, I grew up on a, we grew up on a farm. And so my dad, he was kind of stuck back at home with, with three kids. So me and my two sisters. And my mom was in the hospital. So he was figuring out how to cook, figuring out how to deal with all of our our issues and problems as kids. But then he was also trying to run the farm. We had 40 cows. He had to milk every day, twice every day. And so that was worrying him out. And then because we're out kind of in a rural area to get to the hospital, the hospital where my mom was at was an hour and a half away. So he was just, he was pulled, right? He could try to do two out of three, maybe, of those things and try to fit in a call to my mom. But if he wanted to get to go see her, to be with her at the hospital, it would take three hours out of his day. He didn't have that three hours. And he said that time in his life was a time where he learned how to ask for help. He, he learned, oh, yeah, I need to ask for help. I need to go. He had to go to his parents, and his brothers and sisters. He had to go to the church and ask them and say, hey, like, this is, this is too much, I can't handle this. Um, and Naomi's at this point in the story as well, right? She's realizing, oh, I, I need to ask for help. And, and God, God has taught me that it's okay to ask for help. God has taught that it's, it's, it's necessary to help people out when they're in trouble. That's part of what God has told us about the world. Um, and I think Naomi's starting to realize and remember that even in, in her hardship that God hasn't abandoned her. Because, because when, when Naomi went to Moab and her husband died and her sons died, she became, she became bitter, right? She was, she was hurt. It wasn't just a tragedy. Like, it, it wrecked her. Um, and she said, God's mad at me. God has, God's turned his back on me. Um, but now she's kind of starting to see, maybe through seeing how Ruth has cared for her, seeing how Boaz is kind of caring for them. She's starting to realize, like, no, God hasn't forgotten me. God has, God has good things. Even, even when we go through hard times, God knows us. He sees. He's not, he's not blind. He's not unaware. Um, started, she's starting to remember that God has always cared for those that are weak, those that are suffering, the lonely, people that are, that are strangers, people that don't, don't have people around them. So Naomi's starting to put that together. And and she shares with with Ruth um, this concept of a guardian redeemer, that that God has designated people to care for those that are in in deep distress. And explains that Boaz, in fact, is the guardian redeemer for their family. So by law, he's the guardian redeemer, or the guardian for this very reason, for this very time. And and so Naomi tells Ruth how to approach Boaz as the guardian of of their family. So we'll get into that. But now I've introduced a new character, so we're going to look at Boaz now. So I want to just mention Boaz here. So Boaz, a few things to know about him. I think the first thing we'll just say, obviously I've said it a few times, he's the guardian of the family. and So he was just kind of designated, kind of within the extended family, as someone who had the ability to help people out when, when things went wrong. Um, I think it's also clear that he, he's wise. Uh, it says in other parts that he was really respected by the town, the people in the, in the, in the city in Bethlehem where they were from, they would, they would turn to him and, and, and really respect what he had to say and what, what, what he thought. Um, and finally, he's actually fr- relatively wealthy, right? He has resources, right? He has land, he has employees, he's been able to employ and take care of Ruth for a time. So he has the resources to kind of to help Ruth and Naomi out, okay? So that's Boaz. So Naomi's kind of explained all these things and, and kind of gives instructions to Ruth. Of, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to approach Boaz for help, um, and it gets a little interesting here. So let, let's read, let's have, have a look at this as, as we keep going. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, yeah, Boaz is a, is a relative of ours. And then Ruth says, or Naomi says to Ruth, wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Um, and when he lies down, when Boaz lies down, note the place where he is lying. Uh, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Okay, uh, so, I mean, anyways, no, Ruth, 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 I, I, I mean, I, I'm as confused as you are, but Ruth listens to Naomi and goes and lays down at his feet. And of course, after a little bit, Boaz wakes up. And in verse 9, we see what he says. He says, who are you? Right? He's surprised. He wasn't expecting this. Um, and she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Um, so I just got to take a moment here and recognize there's some things in here that that do make sense and are really clear and some things that are like, oh, that's kind of strange. Um, So the one part, you know, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian. Oh, wow. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. You know, that idea of spreading the corner of your garment, actually that's been used from my understanding in kind of marriage ceremonies or, or different familial ceremonies, even up to very close to the present day in some um, Middle Eastern communities. Um, so there's really an idea of bring me into your household, you're the guardian redeemer. That's really clear. Uh, the other part about, you know, why did she go in the middle of the night? Why did she, uh, why did she uncover his feet? That's, you know, that's something that's <laughs> cultural. And, and I read so many commentaries and they all kind of, different people said different things. So I, I can't say with confidence. But, we, you know, we know that Naomi thought it was okay. And Ruth was comfortable with it. And I think that's actually something helpful, even recognizing Ruth, you know, Ruth was from Moab. So as Naomi was saying, hey, here's what we do, here's what we do in, in our community. This is what we do when we want to ask for help or ask for a guardian redeemer. And Ruth kind of had to say, I trust you, I guess, I guess that's the way we do it around here and, and just go along with it. Um, and surprise, Boaz at night, that was the way, the way it was done. Um, But but ultimately what happened is that Ruth is able to to share the message that she has for Boaz, right? Ask him, spread the corner of your garment, right? Bring me into your household because you are a guardian redeemer for our family. So that that then kind of puts the the pressure onto Boaz now, right? And remember what we said about Boaz, right? He's the guardian, he's wise, and he has resources. Um, So Ruth asked Boaz, will you be the guardian redeemer, right? Can you help us? You're the guardian redeemer. And you might not realize, but that it does actually—it's a clear question, but it creates it creates some tension for Boaz, right? Um, you know, Moab and Israel—they were historically they were enemies, and yeah, would kind of go back and forth in, in in small skirmishes and battles and. Um, fighting with each other, but also just generally, there was animosity between the two groups. And so, you read about Israel would say horrible things about Moab. Moab probably would say the same horrible things about Israel. And they just kind of always be at each other's throats a little bit. Um, and so now there's this woman Ruth coming, and and she's clearly a good character, and she's part of Naomi's family. And and Boaz is the redeemer for for Naomi's family. But where does Ruth fit, right? She's not quite direct in the lines. She's kind of messing with it a little bit. Um, but she definitely needs help, right? She definitely needs to experience grace. And so Boaz hears what Ruth has to say, and he accepts her proposal, right? Verse 10, it says, "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied. "'This kindness is greater than that "'which you showed earlier. "'You have not run after the younger men, "'whether rich or poor. "'And now, my daughter, don't be afraid.'" I will do for you all that you ask. Can you imagine the relief for Ruth in that moment? Don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. Right. Boaz agrees to be the guardian redeemer, to to bring Ruth and Naomi into his household to care for them, uh, to to take care of them. And, you know, I think there's a moment where where we see grace kind of running headlong into truth, and we know that's a value that we talked about here at the 180, of grace and truth together. And Boaz knows in the moment, you know, Ruth needs to experience grace, he needs to experience some peace here. But he knows some, some more than what Ruth knows. He knows this is, make, this is going to be complicated. It's not just going to be simple and easy, Right? Uh, and so here he says, don't be afraid, I will do for you all you ask. But he goes on to share, we're going to actually, there's some legal things we've got to work through in the morning, we're going to have to talk about this, we're going to meet with the, the elders and leaders of the town, so that we can work out, how does this actually work? Um, but at this point, what he knows, and what Ruth knows, is that Ruth needs a guardian. Naomi needs needs help. And Boaz agrees. He says, I will help you. I'm going to do for you all that you ask. Um, and I think we can just see immense wisdom in Boaz in this moment, right? He sees this complicated situation, and he makes it simple, and he just does the right thing. Um, now, I think it's, it's easy to say it's simple, right? But it's simple, but it's not easy, right? And that's what relationships so often, the right thing to do is simple, but it's not easy, right? Relationships so often are hard and, and, and ambiguous. It's difficult to, to move forward. But Boaz, he chooses to take a path of grace, of love, and of kindness, and, and, and commit to finding help to work out, okay, how am I going to actually do this? But he commits to being with her. He commits to saying, I will do for you all that you ask. It's a personal investment, a personal engagement. Um, yeah, and so Boaz, here, he's just, he, he's taking a risk. He's taking a leap to care for Ruth. Um, he knows from the first step that he's committing on the basis of love and a promise, uh, not because he has it all figured out, but because he wants to do the right thing for Ruth. Um, uh, earlier this year, I, I was watching a film that maybe kind of drives this home. It was, uh, it was called the, the Finest Hours with Chris Pine. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It went came out in the 50, or Sorry, it's set in the 50s. It came out maybe five or six years ago. And it's the story of the U.S. Coast Guard. And what had happened was there was this huge storm in, on the east coast of the U.S., and, and multiple ships were, were in trouble, and so the Coast Guard had sent out their ships and then sent out another ship to, to save another ship. Um, and then they were kind of left at one little Coast Guard station along, along, along a bay with just a small little motorboat left, and, and another distress call came in of a ship that was breaking up in the waves, and there was, you know, like 20 sailors on board, and the call came to the Coast Guard to say, can you guys go out and help? And they all kind of realized that it was this horrible storm. One guy was sick. There was a tiny boat that probably would get swamped trying to just even trying to get out, uh, get out of the harbor. And eventually, as they're kind of sitting around the table trying to figure out, eventually the commander comes in and says, "You know, we're the Coast Guard, right? We have to go out. We don't have to come back, but we have to go out." And so they make that commitment, right? Of this is this is what we need to do. We need to. There's there's people dying. We got to go. We got to do what they need to do. Um, it's kind of the commitment that Boaz made. Maybe not quite as, as severe, but he said, you know what? I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to commit. I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and figure this out with you. Um, now, that's a great example, but I'm not sure if that's actually the, Bo- the example that Boaz used. or Obviously, he never watched the film. But, you know, I think even for Boaz, what he saw, what he was trying to consider, okay, what do I do here? He could have seen example of Ruth, right? Because Ruth, she didn't know anything when she committed to Naomi to say, Naomi, I'm going to stick with you. Right, I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm going to stick with you. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'll be, I'll just, I am going to be with you. I don't know any of the details, but I'm going to be with you and care for you and work it out. right? Ruth made this commitment as a person uh, to, do, to be kind. Right, It wasn't just a formula. It wasn't rules that you could just chart it out, but she made a commitment as a person to care for Naomi. And so Boaz would have seen that too when, when he made that commitment To care for then Ruth and Naomi as well, Um, and and I think that's where we start to piece together more and more of who God is and where God is at work in this story. Because as much as God has given us His Word, He's He's given us His Bible, the Bibles that we can we can know Him and and learn things about Him. um, That His wisdom and His knowledge is always embodied in a person, right? And 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 it always comes alive through obedience and in our own lives. you see that in Naomi, right? See that she never thought that kind of these maybe abstract rules of the guardian redeemer, she never thought that she'd be in such desperate need that she would need that help herself. See that in Boaz, right? He never thought that he would be the the guardian for for someone from Moab. He never thought, oh, that's how this is going to play out. He never thought what it would take for him to be personally engaged. And that's why it's super important. That's why we spend time every week studying God's word, right? We want to see the stories of, of God. We want to see his ways, his ideals, his, his vision, his, his guidelines for our lives, so that when we are living our lives, we can, we can recognize where he's at work, and then we can join in that. You know, I think that's how people actually recognized Jesus when he came, right? They, they, they'd seen maybe the story of Ruth and Boaz and seen this sort of sacrificial love, they, they they'd read the, the, the laws that God had given to Israel originally, and they saw how Jesus obeyed them and fulfilled them. They just saw that he didn't come just giving more, more rules or, or more regulations, but he came showing love, he came bringing healing, um, right? And that's at the heart of who God is, right? It's not just a promise or a plan, but it's a life, it's a person, right? Jesus came as a, in, in human flesh to love And care for us. And Jesus was the person that fulfills God's plan. And that's kind of what Naomi could start to perceive in Boaz even, right? To perceive that, okay, we don't just have a plan or a strategy to get out of this, but there's someone that's going to take care of us. And that's actually where the chapter ends with this, I think, this joyful statement from Naomi. Uh, When Ruth comes back and reports to Naomi, everything that had happened... um, Naomi says to her, she says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And I think you can just feel the relief in her voice as she sees, okay, there is someone who is going to be relentless about helping us now, right? We, we're not on our own anymore. We have someone who, who's wise, who's our redeemer, and who, who has resources, and, and he's, going to, he's going to figure this out. He's going to figure it out today. Um, and yeah, and I think that's what we can recognize in Jesus—that He took an urgency in coming to us to, to help us figure, to, to help us in our struggles and in our challenges. Right? We already saw that, like the people, the disciples around Jesus, they could they could see enough of God's story that they recognized that Jesus was the person. Jesus was was the embodiment of all of God's promises, all of God's rules. Just like just like Boaz was for was for Naomi and Ruth, and even Ruth was for Naomi. Um, and it's interesting, I, I noticed this, that the, the verse that Jasmine shared this morning, um, i had been meditating on it, reflecting on it as well, um, where Boaz had said to Ruth, he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do for you what you asked. But you know, that's something that Jesus said to his disciples so many times, right? He said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Don't worry, you know, your father in heaven knows you. I know you, I love you, don't be afraid. Um, in John sixteen thirty three, which we read earlier this morning, it says, Jesus says to his disciples, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. Hmm. Right? Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. I've come, I'm speaking to you so that you can have peace. But he also says in this world you will have trouble. Right? Just like Naomi. Naomi had trouble. Ruth and Naomi were in trouble. Jesus that's, that's part of the human experience that Jesus enters into with us. Right? In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, right? Um, you know, that that reality that Jesus points us to, that in this world we have, we'll have trouble, I mean, that's something that Naomi struggled to recognize in her life, that just the trouble in her life didn't mean that God had abandoned her. It didn't mean that, that God didn't know or didn't care anymore. Um, and I just think of all the the different family dynamics that come up in the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and all the different directions that takes and how that can even happen in our own lives, right, where where life takes a turn that we don't, we never planned on, and it can hurt us a lot, right? You think of, I shared about my kids and how they are they can be a menace sometimes, but, I mean, they're a joy, right? But I know that, you know, sometimes as kids get older, we start to lose an ability to, to even know how to talk to them anymore, and there's, there's tension or there's hardship, or, or, or it can be with our parents that we're like, didn't we used to get along really well? And and then there can be brokenness and pain and hurt because of that. Or it could even be a spouse, right? every every, every relationship starts out expecting love and, and peace and joy to come from that. But then there can be a moment where it's, you know, why are we at odds? Why are we and we don't even know how to speak to each other anymore? And and those can be times where we become, like Naomi, hurt and bitter. And actually, some of the reasons that we become bitter in those times is because we can look back and see that. It wasn't just something that happened to us. We can see that how our own actions made it, made it worse, and we don't know how to fix that. We don't want to make it right. We don't, want to, don't know how to sort that out. But Jesus, Jesus came and said, I've come so that you can have peace, right? He has come to, to be with us, to be, to be present with us, to love us, and to care for us. And he's not going to get thrown off by, by the, the troubles and the sorrows of life. He knows they're coming. He knows, they're, he knows that we're already in them, but he, his message to us is take heart. I have overcome the world. And, you know, Jesus, the story of his life is that he, he came from heaven. He, he left his home so he could make his home amongst us. And, and he made a commitment to, to give his life for us. And, and, you know, this passage in John 16, the amazing thing is that Jesus is teaching that really at the, in the final hours of his life. Um, it's really just before he was betrayed and, and, and then arrested to then, then be executed. And so as, as Jesus was, uh, was sharing these things, he's saying, I've overcome the world. i come that you may have peace. He knew that the the peace that he brought, it would be costly, right? You know, Boaz made a commitment to bring peace to to Ruth, not knowing, thinking it might cost some money, it might cost some reputation. But Jesus, when he talked to his disciples, saying, I've come to bring you peace, he knew that it would cost his his life, his body and his blood. And I think it's very appropriate today we'll be celebrating communion in remembrance of a recognition of what Jesus has done for us, right? That he is willing to give his whole life so that we can have life, so that we can have peace, that his body was broken for us, his blood was poured out for us so we can have peace and that we can have, have know him and that we can know that he has overcome the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember in communion. We recognize that, 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 that Jesus, like Boaz, Jesus, like Ruth, is the helper, is the friend that will stick with us and will carry us through whatever we need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you um, pulling, I guess, the threads of seeing where your promise is and your, what you've revealed, how it, how it connects with our lives. And we can see brokenness around us. Uh, we can see things that make us bitter or discouraged. But Jesus, we just thank you that you came and, and you came with a commitment to be with us, whatever the cost. And uh, Yeah, and to love us. So Lord Jesus, I, I just I pray that we would be we would experience your peace because of that. And if there's need for us for a change in our own lives, if there's things that we do need to correct or or to prevent it from, I pray that we'd have the courage to do that, knowing that whatever whatever awkwardness or whatever fear we have to step into to, to make a change in our lives, we know that you're with us and you love us. Thank you again, Jesus man
0: Thank you, Willie, for uh, reminding us of God's goodness to us. And uh, this might be a new experience for you, but we're uh, going to invite you to think about what it means to respond to God's goodness to us. And uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a restaurant and they always use a slogan that says, you know, here since 1952 or here since 1948. It's like a marketing tool to tell you you can trust us because we've been here a long time. Well, if there's a restaurant around this meal, it would say here since 3,000. 3,000 years ago that this is the meal that Christians have been celebrating. And it comes from this ancient story that you might not know. But everybody in the Bible knows the story. It's a story that has to do with freedom and a time where God's people were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt and God set them free and he gave them this meal. And this meal would be a reminder that they would always remember that there's something about our lives that only God can set us free from. It doesn't matter how, work, how hard you work, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, that there's a type of freedom that only God can give. And Jesus is about to celebrate this meal with his disciples. Some of you maybe know the story, you're familiar with it, but in a few minutes I'm going to ask you to come up and grab a bread, piece of bread and and one of the cups here. But as Jesus is sharing this meal, they know what to listen for. They know that Jesus is going to talk about God's power and God's strength That God's going to provide the way God has always provided for his people. But then at one point he's going to explain to them how God actually overcomes the world. If somebody asked you, how does God overcome the world? What would you say? I mean, I know how I would overcome the world if I was God. Like burn everything down. Put everybody bad in prison. Get rid of all the bad people. Right? That's how we overcome the world. That's not how God overcomes the world. Jesus says, God is going to overcome this world by setting you free from the sin and the brokenness in your hearts and I have to do something you've never seen before that Jesus begins to take this meal about God's freedom and begins to talk about new things they've never heard before and at one point he's going to talk about that this meal is about God forgiving them that God is going to set them free and there's parts of their life that they have to be forgiven for. And if I was there, I'd be like, Jesus, that's not how the story goes. This story is about the Egyptians and how bad they were to us and how you punished them because they were bad to us. Jesus is like, stop right now. From this day forward, you will remember this Passover differently. You will remember that, yes, God has set you free. But there are certain sins in your life that you still need to be forgiven of. And you need to surrender those things to me now. This would have been like crazy to them. They're like, what? We're not the bad people. Like the Egyptians are bad. Jesus is like, this is much deeper than you think. Can I tell you one thing before I invite you up? That there's only one thing that disqualifies someone from coming to this table. And it's them thinking that they don't need God's forgiveness. That if you're here and you have it all together and you don't need God to forgive you, you know what? Don't even come up. You can watch us and wave and... Probably be like whatever, it's some religious thing people do. But for those of us who come to this table, we are invited by God to admit the things in our life we need forgiving for. And so before I invite you up, I'm gonna invite you to just take a few minutes and think about this. If you've never said yes to God, maybe you're watching online, this is new, we understand, and just maybe you want to just watch and pray. We're so happy you're here. But in a few minutes, we're gonna invite you to come in the in your aisles, you'll come up and you're gonna grab the bread and a cup you can either grab the wine or the juice however you feel comfortable and when you take it and you get back to your seat just hold on to it and just understand that Jesus says I overcome this world the way I overcome your heart is by you admitting that you need my forgiveness and we can complain about all the problems in the world but they really begin with the sin and the darkness in many of our hearts that need to be forgiven so as you come up Would you just sense that Jesus has a grace for you? Symbolic of Boaz's kindness, but Jesus does something only he can do. So let me just pray for us before we invite you up. Father, thank you for the great stories in the Bible that help us to prepare our hearts and our minds to welcome the amazing things that Jesus would say and that only he could do. We think of the thousands of years that your people have been celebrating this meal. I pray you would never let us forget that at its core is an invitation for us to get honest about the things you must forgive and you must heal in us. So as we come up now, Jesus, would you help us to get maybe more honest than we ever have been about areas in our lives that are broken and maybe just like Ruth and Naomi to say, God, we need your help. We never thought we would, but we do. And help us to be sensitive to what you want to say to us now. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
2: Jesus Lift your voice as one, he is great.
0: Some of you know the story in the Bible that tries to capture the pain, the sadness, the hope that Jesus was trying to give his disciples. At one point in Matthew's gospel, it says this, that when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad. Can I remind you that this passage is this moment in the story while they're having this meal? Remember, the story is about celebration. It's about a Passover. It's about God's freedom. And Jesus turns this celebration moment into a moment of deep honesty. I know what it's like that when somebody tells me something I don't want to hear, or someone maybe tells you something you don't want to hear, we don't get sad, we get mad. We tell people they don't have the right to tell us. You don't know my life. Who are you to judge me? And the Bible tells us that when the disciples hear this, they get sad many of us maybe are at the place where our sins don't make us sad anymore. The things that we do that dishonor God have stopped making you sad. And when they stop making you sad, they also stop making you think you need God's forgiveness. So remember that this meal is one where Jesus sets us free. And then he does what they've never seen him do before. He's going to take the bread and while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this, take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat the bread together. And he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup as we thank God for forgiving us our sins. I want to remind you that whenever God forgives us, he calls us to this place where we can begin to experience the fullness of his freedom. Some of you are here this morning and you're taking communion. Maybe you know, you even know the story, but you need to pray with someone or talk to someone. Maybe you need to get more honest about the things that matter. Maybe as Willie was sharing, you realize that you need some help in a way that you never thought you would ask for help, but you need that help. So we would invite you to just come talk to us. We have people in our prayer space that would love to pray for you. This journey is meant to, live, to be lived with others. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I close in prayer this morning. And again, I'm thankful for how the Bible stirs us to think about God's faithfulness. If you can, please, and all of us can, make time this week to read just four chapters of the book of Ruth as we wrap up next week and begin to kind of change direction. But let's just pray before we let you go. Father, we come again asking you to step into the most broken parts of our lives and for many of us it's very even hard to think about them and to admit that we need help but this is the table of your forgiveness and we thank you God that you sent Jesus and he came to overcome this world in a way that we were never ready for that the cross and the resurrection don't just overcome the bad things in the world they heal the bad things in us And this is what our world needs today. So I pray that as we leave, we would leave as those who are carrying the very thing that overcomes the world. We are carrying the very hope and the truth and the healing that you have placed in us. And I pray that that would work itself out of our lives towards our co-worker, a friend, a neighbor who sees the pain of this world, the brokenness of this world, can't imagine that there's a good God. But today... We're reminded again that you, Jesus, have given us peace and that we can trust in the way that you have overcome the world. And we thank you for the cross and the resurrection. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, God bless everyone. We'll see you soon. Make sure you say hi to someone and thank the teachers just with our kids this morning. But God bless everyone. Bye-bye.